Let us turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 1, and we read from the verse number 1. Ezekiel 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and the brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And then turn, please, to the end of the chapter, to verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray you would write it upon every heart. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Our text will be found in the verse 4 of Ezekiel chapter 1. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. The spectacle of what is known as the aurora borealis, or the northern lights, as they are commonly called in the northern hemisphere, is one of the most majestic phenomena of nature. People take trips to locations in the far north, such as Norway or Iceland, in the hope of catching just a glimpse of nature's most amazing light show. Ribbons of blue, green, violet cascade across the sky. In the United Kingdom, there are occasional sightings of the aurora, especially in the north of Scotland. Few people in this part of the world have ever had the privilege of seeing this spectacle in home soil. But there have been sightings recently. We know that from the news. 
The Antrim coastline has seen their aurora, as has the north of Donegal. And these past weeks have been pretty unusual in that there have been quite a number of repeated sightings uh, reported. And, and that's fascinating because perhaps we will have an opportunity at some stage of seeing the northern lights if we have not already seen them. But those who see the lights claim it is something they will never forget. In some cases, the aurora is so clear that people feel as if they could reach up and put their hands through the light, even though those lights are many, many miles above in the earth's atmosphere. It's an amazing spectacle. The, the, aura, the, the aura is caused, it is believed, and scientists, I don't think they, they fully understand it even to this date, and it's something that they are continually exploring, but they believe that a solar storm takes place on the surface of the sun, and these electrons, they are hurtled towards the, the earth and on a solar wind, and they're traveling at up to 45 million miles per hour. And they get drawn to all of the planets. Uh, and most of these little electrons get burned up in the Earth's atmosphere. But those that aren't burned up are drawn to the magnetic North Pole and the magnetic South Pole. And it is these particles that are drawn to the polar regions that are known as either the northern or the southern lights. Now, people have been observing the aurora for many, many years, for thousands of years, and understandably in pagan cultures, people were very superstitious of the, of the lights. And the most common superstition tied the aurora with the souls of the departed, and even with heaven itself. Some saw the lights as the entry point, where the spirits of the departed enter through the doorway into the eternal abode. The Vikings believed that the lights were the maidens who would welcome the dead warriors as they left their battlefields. The Inuits of East Greenland saw the lights as children who had died at birth. The Sami people of North, northern Scandinavia saw the souls of those that had died, violent deaths in the lights. And for other tribes, such as the Wisconsin Indians, they were the souls of their enemies trying to rise again to fight with them. And therefore, the lights were harbingers of, of death and war and bloodshed. They saw them as bad omens. And so, cultures across the world had all kinds of ideas as to what this amazing spectacle actually was and what it represented. And of course, we, we discount all of those heathen superstitions, but yet... As in everything in nature, we can see the hand of God, and we can see the fingerprints of the Almighty. And so there is a spiritual, and there's a, an eternal significance in everything that God does, everything that God creates. And that really is what drew me to speak on this subject today. God obviously created the northern lights and the southern lights. He set the sun in space. He controls all of the activities that bring us light, that bring us heat, that bring us color. God didn't just make the sun to rule by day. 
And the sun's this massive object full of energy. And God has given the sun all of that energy. Whatever's going on in the core of the sun and the surface of the sun, God's in charge of all of that. He has created all of that. He, he governs all of that. But God didn't just make the sun, but God made light. And he, he has given us the light, and He has given us the, the colors that are in light. And He has given us the intelligence to look at those colors, to see those colors, to define those colors, and to appreciate those colors. And He has given us the eye that can pick it up, and the brain that can interpret what the eye sees. And we are told by the psalmist that the heavens declare the glory of God. And therefore, the ribbons of light that come across the sky that have baffled many, that have confused many, that people admire and wonder at, those ribbons of color, they are but a little reflection of the glory of God. But what we observe in nature is It's just a shadow of the fullness of God's glory. One day we shall dwell in a city, be it in eternal light. The most majestic, the most beautiful sights on earth will be so little compared to the eternal weight of glory of which we're going to be a part one day. And while the world is beautiful and the universe is awe-inspiring, it is nothing compared to that which will be ours when we pass out of this veil of time and go beyond into heaven itself. What a day that's going to be when we see Christ. Did Ezekiel see the aurora? You know, some have said that he did. And if you were to look up and see, does the northern lights appear in Scripture? Some people will point you to this verse 4 of Ezekiel chapter 1. And we can kind of understand what they're getting at. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof is the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. He obviously saw lights in the sky. And these lights came from the northern sky. That is interesting. But what Ezekiel saw, while it may have begun with a a natural phenomenon, it quickly became something that was supernatural. Because God revealed himself to Ezekiel, showed Ezekiel something that no mortal has ever seen. This is one of the most spectacular, one of the most amazing visions, perhaps the most amazing vision in all of Scripture that is parallels only with parts of the book of Revelation. So the aurora that Ezekiel witnessed was infinitely greater than the northern lights. And this again was what God had done. And What God showed Ezekiel here in Ezekiel chapter 1 became the backdrop for Ezekiel's whole ministry. But what Ezekiel saw in the skies above Babylon continued to be relevant because this vision in Ezekiel 1 teaches us 
And we need to be retaught this lesson over and over again, that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, that God is great. The spectacle of the northern lights teaches us this truth too. But everything we see in nature, from the little blade of grass to the intricately colored flower, to the birds that travel from far and build their nests, to the great waterfalls and the massive oceans, to the stars that are exploding in far-off galaxies. They all teach us this impressive truth that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, that God is great. What did Ezekiel see here in Ezekiel chapter 1 and the verse 4? Well, we are told that he saw four living creatures in verse 5. And they looked like men. But yet, they weren't like men. Because they had wings. They were, in all probability, cherubim or seraphim. Angels of God. From that perspective... Ezekiel's vision was very like Isaiah's great vision of Isaiah chapter 6. And as Ezekiel was, as Isaiah was called in that place, so Ezekiel was called here. So they had wings. They had four faces. Verse 6. So there's four faces and four wings. Their feet were straight feet. The sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. Now, that was a clean animal. So the cow was a clean animal that could be it. So this emphasized the, the holiness of these creatures. They sparkled like the color of burnished brass. So there was something awe-inspiring about them, something glorious about them. Verse 8 says, they had the hands of a man under their wings and the four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. So their wings were interlinked. So whenever one turned, they all turned. Whenever one went straight forward, they all went straight forward. And the idea is here that, that they, they moved quickly. They had straight feet. They moved quickly. And they had wings. They were like flashes of light across the sky. And then we see their faces in verse 10. And... There's four faces. There's the face of a man, there's the face of a lion, there's the face of an ox, and there's the face of an eagle. And so Ezekiel saw these living creatures. They appeared as a flash of lightning in verse 14. But he didn't just see the living creatures moving in the sky. He also saw wheels and the wheels, obviously, they were round, and they were full of color. The verse 16 says, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like the color of a burl, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. 
And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the Spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their Spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So the work of these cherubs was interwoven with the wheels, and the wheels demonstrated their work. What does it all mean? And Ezekiel was watching this. He, he was observing this. And there he was as a man looking up at the night sky and he saw this fire and he saw, this, he, he saw these remarkable creatures and, and he saw these wheels. And what does it mean? And then he lifted up his eyes. In verse 26, and he sees a throne and he sees a man Seated upon the throne. He sees the color of amber in verse 27. He sees fire about the throne, within the throne. He looks at the appearance of the man. He sees the appearance of fire. He sees a glory in the brightness. And then he sees... A bow, like a rainbow, around about the throne. And then he fell, falls upon his face, and he worships, because he realizes that he has seen a vision of God, the glory of God. And he hears the Lord's voice speaking to him. And he says that very clearly in verse 28. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And you must remember who Ezekiel was. Ezekiel was ministering to captives, people that had lost their homeland, people that had been stripped of their livelihoods, people whose towns and cities were left in ruins by the Babylonian army, people that had been brought to this strange land and strange culture. And they were 200 miles from the great city of Babylon. And they were by the rivers of Babylon. There they were weeping. They were disconsolate. These were terrible. These were dark days. And he was called to minister to these people in these very dark days. And as he ministers to these people, God reveals himself to Ezekiel by one of these rivers, by the river of Kibar. God shows Ezekiel his glory. But through these chariots and through these wheels that are directed from the one that sits upon this throne... Ezekiel was taught something that he would teach to the people. That God is in charge in these dark days. That God is in control. That God is weaving out his purposes. Even though we may not understand them. And so these cherubs, they represent the, the God who's working all things out according to the good counsel of his will. A God whose purposes are holy. A God who will never fail in his purposes. God, whose purposes will always come to fruition when he orders a cherub to go somewhere that moves like lightning, and it does that. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to serve those that are the heirs of salvation. The angels are all around us doing God's work, even though we do not see them. The Bible says he gives his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. He doesn't have to use angels, but he uses them. For the most part, they're invisible. We cannot see them, but they are there. The faces of these angels... The faces represent various aspects of life on earth. You have the man, the crown of God's creation. 
mankind, humanity, put in charge of God's creation, the steward of God's creation. You have the lion representing the, the wild beasts. The lion is known as the king of the jungle. You have the ox representing the domestic animals, the cows, the sheep, the poultry. You have the eagle representing the birds of the air. The eagle seen as being the, the prince of all of the, the birds, the most noble of all of the birds. And what God is showing Ezekiel here is whatever is happening, whether it is in the jungle or in the field, whatever is happening in the, the council chambers of men, whatever is happening in the sky, God is in charge. He's directing all things. And these living creatures that he saw, these, these cherubs or, or seraphim, their wings were joined together. Whatever one did, they all did. They were working according to the one purpose. And whatever happens in this world, whether it happens in, in Washington or whether it happens in London or whether it happens in Paris or whether it happens in, in Moscow, wherever it happens, evil men may have their plans and may have their schemes, but God's purposes are joined up. They're never disjointed. God will accomplish His plans and He will bring them to fruition even though we may not always understand these people by the rivers of Babylon would be taught a lesson that though they were in slavery, although they were in servitude, yet the great God was in charge. And these wheels, they were revolving wheels, they were turning wheels, they were moving wheels. They teach us something that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and that plan is always in motion. And one of the reasons why we should study the history of the church, the history of the church, and indeed history generally, if we look at history from a, a proper biblical perspective, teaches us that God is a pattern. It, it is the study of God's actions in the past. That's what history is, what God has done in the past. That's how we should see history. And God works according to His pattern. God never breaks His promise. God always keeps His word. God is building His church, establishing His church. God will answer the prayers of His people. God will bring His work to revival. God has a plan. Even in the very darkest, the most tragic of events, His purposes will never be thwarted. And He's the God of the covenant who sits upon the throne. And God's upon the throne today. And whenever may alarm us in this world, the moral state of the world, the political state of the world, whenever may alarm us, there's a great God up there who's working out His purposes, and we can rest upon that. One who will never be unseated from His throne. One who is God. But I want you to notice something else here about this throne. Yes, it is a holy throne. It is an awful throne. It is a throne of fire. But it's also a throne of mercy. Because there's a rainbow about the throne. And we know what the rainbow means. It means God will never destroy the world again with a flood. The rainbow speaks of God's promise, God's mercy, coming after the terrible judgment of the deluge. And so in this terrible throne, there is mercy. This great God who is in charge, He's in control. He's a just God. He's a holy God. He will deal with sin. His judgments will not fail. Yet at the same time, He's a God of mercy. And how these people by the rivers of Babylon, they needed to hear that. That their God was a, a merciful God, waving out His purpose. Yet He was kind, He was gracious, He was long-suffering. Those that had failed, those that had turned away from the Lord, those that are backslidden, God would be willing to bring them back. Those who were feeling the, the darkness of it all, how they had lost everything. 
God was going to give them a new purpose, even here in Babylon, because he was in charge. His purposes will never, ever be failed. In the year 1620, the month of September, a band of 100 people set sail from Plymouth, and they would journey across the Atlantic on a ship called the Mayflower, and 30 of that number, 35 of that number approximately, were known as saints. They were known as pilgrims. And therefore, the people in the ship became known as the Mayflower Pilgrims. They'd been persecuted in England. They weren't allowed to worship the way they wanted to worship God. They had gone for some time to Holland to worship God because they had more freedom there. And they were disappointed with that. And so they decided they would strike out for the new world. They would establish a colony where they could worship God according to their conscience. They were God-fearing humble yet very brave souls. And so they made that journey like Abraham, not knowing where they were going, trusting, relying upon the sovereignty of God. The first winter, there was a hundred in that vessel, 50 died. Disease got them. But yet they held on to God. And today we have that great nation, the United States of America, formed as a result of people who simply wanted the freedom to serve God according to conscience. And New England would, within a hundred years of their going out there, experience the most wonderful, remarkable revivals when God would work amongst those settlers. There was darkness and there was difficulties, but there was the rainbow. God was in charge. And that's the pattern of history. We'd be living in dark days, dismal times, frustrating times, hard times, but God's on the throne, working it all out. His purposes will never be thwarted. Remember that because of the one who sits upon the throne, and who is the one that sits upon the throne? He's a man. This is Christ. Every time God appears in the form of a man, that is Christ. And yes, he had not yet become the incarnate man, but yet Christ appeared here as a man. This is Christ. But we today come before a throne. It's called a throne of grace. Something Ezekiel didn't quite see. Not in the same sense. Because Christ has died and he has risen again. He is at the right hand of God. That is a throne that we come before today. But the rainbow is still there. The covenants of God. The promises of God. Ezekiel saw this amazing vision. In the midst of darkness. The aurora, the northern lights, can only be seen in darkness. Away from what's called light pollution. The darker the place, the more opportunity you have of seeing them. God revealed to Ezekiel this tremendous vision. It was a vision for the darkness. If Ezekiel had never been in this dark place, Babylon, he never would have seen this vision of God. So never let us say that because the days are dark that God will not work. God will work in these days. God will reveal himself in these days because he is still God who will never forsake his own. That's the encouraging thing. We are never ever to be discouraged because there's a God in heaven. That's the message here. Our circumstances may discourage us. People may discourage us. But God is no disappointment because Christ is upon his throne. We need to see the glory of God. We need to see the majesty of God. 
When you get a glimpse of the beauty of God, people will pay large sums of money to go and see the Northern Lights. They'll go to Iceland, they'll go to Norway, they'll go to other places. They go and they don't see them. They're disappointed. They go home, they haven't seen what they set out to see. God reveals himself to a seeking people. We don't see the glory of God by paying money. We see the glory of God by surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Oh, that we might see the Lord today. We might hear his voice. As Ezekiel saw the Lord and as he fell upon his face, God began to speak to him. Are we willing to yield ourselves to the Lord? We might see and hear him as never before. We will yield ourselves to him, which is our reasonable service. We will serve him with our all, for he is worthy of everything. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great God that we serve, one that reveals himself in so many ways, but most importantly has revealed himself through the person of Christ. Take these lives of ours and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. For Christ.